calling all hardscapers, landscapers, and outdoor living pros. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. I am so excited to announce our first ever six-day immersive hands-on outdoor living design build event in New Holland, Pennsylvania. Over the course of a week, Yes Express, Souders Hardscape Supply, and Pave Tool Innovators are going to teach you how to become downright dangerous in sales, design, installation, and equipment slash tool operation. Expert teachers will cover the installation of custom features like permeable pavers, fireplaces, stone decks, custom outdoor kitchens, water features, putting greens, and so, so much more. This event was designed specifically for growth-minded business owners and teams who want to get their hands dirty and learn from the best so they can take their businesses to new, unimaginable levels. So mark your calendar from February 20th to the 25th. Seating is limited. You can get your tickets today at OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Again, OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Oh, did I mention that we're raffling off over $20,000 in specialty tools and other profit-driving goodies at this event? You're not going to want to miss it. Let's make 2023 the most profitable year ever. Now back to the show. Hello, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have Doug McDuff. He's a co-owner of Landscape America in Massachusetts, and they have a team of over 100 members. He shares a story about how they came from just him and his brother up to this uh, beautiful, massive company. And he, he shares a lot of the, the, the different things that he learned along the way, especially the concept of, of celebrating with their team when you win. And also, this is one you're going to want to stick all the way through the podcast for is he's going to also talk about this concept of open book where you actually share your numbers with your entire team and how powerful that is in motivating and building team and, and winning as a team. So listen to all the way to the end, some great nuggets throughout. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now. Let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to Outer Spaces Podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, on this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, today, we have an incredible guest on. He's got uh, quite a business up there in Massachusetts. He has the co-owner of Landscape America, and they have over 100 team members that are on their team. And you know what? I really wanted to have Doug on today to talk a bit about how he's helped build teams and how he's continuing to do that, even in the post-COVID era now, when most people are having a hard time finding help uh, throughout COVID. And, and now, you know, post-COVID with the way the economy is changing, I want to find out what his secrets are in order to keep his team robust and to keep it, uh, you know, quality A players and all that good stuff. So Doug McDuff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. Man, so I was looking through your notes uh, before we get started here. I was looking through your notes, and it sees I see that you were a snowmobiler. So tell me a little bit. Uh, you're in Massachusetts, so where do you love to go? Yeah, I love snowmobiling. That's that's the one thing that I would choose to do outside of work. Um, I've always snowmobiled in Maine, mostly northern Maine, Millinocket, Jackman, Rangeley. Got my kids into it, so they've got sleds. My wife rides a little bit when she when she can. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a few buddies that 
usually we do one or two weekends a year up there and that's like my favorite thing is just to get up there and ride and rip up the trails and and go see some cool spots that you can't get to unless you're on a snowmobile so it's it's um yeah ton of fun yeah and for those who who haven't snowmobiled yet there's nothing like the adrenaline you get when you crank on that throttle especially if you got a good hard pack man the so much thrust in that it's incredible i grew up on snowmobiles and it's probably about four or five years ago i sold my last one after i blew the motor out of it and we used to go to, <laughs> to tug hill and up to old forge and we'd ride a lot and even locally around here in pennsylvania but I grew up on those things. I love those machines. They're incredible. It was a, it's like our freedom. We didn't have cars, my brother and I, when we were real young. So we had snowmobiles. We'd go to our friends' houses. We'd we'd get, you know, those little laundry containers you get when you get like, uh, I don't know, like soap in, you know, the regular one gallon jugs or whatever. And I know sure, this yeah. isn't really smart, but <laughs> we weren't all that smart when we were younger. So we would take those, clean them out good, fill it full of mixed fuel because it's two cycle, fill it full of mixed fuel. And we'd watch and see if it would, you know, bust the bottle because some of that stuff would react and destroy the bottle, but it didn't in certain brands. So then we put them inside because we can only go so far with the small gas tanks in those old snowmobiles. And then we could fill up and we can go further. And I don't know, it was a lot of fun, but I love snowmobiling. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we got to find excuses to get out and ride. And um, Absolutely. cool thing I'm doing in, the, in another maybe four weeks or so is I found out a couple of my clients ride. And so it's like a little work quote unquote work trip up there to do some nice. snowmobile with some clients. So, uh, I'm psyched to do that. So, and you can write that one off too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so important to have hobbies outside of work, things that bring you joy, especially if nature's in your heart and there's, you know, snowmobiling is such a beautiful way. Some of the most incredible scenery I've ever seen is on the back of a snowmobile and it's just, you can't get there otherwise. That's the cool part. No. You see it fresh right after a snow or during there's, it's just so much fun. But anyway, I didn't bring you on to talk about snowmobiling, but uh, that's definitely something that's near and dear. Uh, so, so Doug, tell us a little bit about how you got started in this industry, where you come from, and then how you eventually end up, you know, co-owning this, this large company. Yeah, my brother and myself, um, Andy, we're, we're co-owners. So we, we grew up in Norwood, which is a suburb of Boston, maybe, maybe 30 minutes outside of Boston. Um, and grew up in a lower middle-class family. Um, and you know, we, we were lucky and fortunate enough to have, um, we lived with our grandparents actually, and my, my parents and in an in-law, my grandfather was a super hard working guy. And, um, my uncle would come around often and, and do a lot of projects outside. So, um, we were just always like doing things in the yard with our grandfather working, um, around the property and, and helping out with things. And, um, really outdoor minded kids, you know, we were always playing outside on like, you know, kids these days are on video games all the time. We didn't, we weren't in that world. We were playing wiffle ball or whatever. We were just outside. So, um, definitely got in touch with, with nature at a young age and really enjoyed it. So, um, wasn't a terrific student. I was, I think I was always like generally intelligent, but I didn't apply myself and, and, and or didn't apply myself. I didn't really care too much about school. Um, However, you know, I, I made it through high school with decent grades and my guidance counselor when I was a senior asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I just want to be outside. I don't I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to um, have a cubicle. I just want to be outside. Maybe I'll be like a park ranger or something. And he's like, well, my my nephew's going to this school at UMass Amherst called Stockbridge, which is an agricultural school. And he's going for landscape contracting. And I was like, cool. That sounds good. Like <laughs> that was literally what happened. Um, there was no other thought process or like vetting it out or like research. 
Um, I applied to that school. I got in and I just so happened to fall in love with, with the major. Like as soon as I started learning about it, I got excited. I started applying myself. I got good grades, um, made a lot of good friends in, and, um, ended up doing an internship with a company called Hartney Graymont, which, you know, this is back in 2000. Mm -hmm. So 20, 23 years ago, um, they were about a $10 million company, which was, you know, substantial company even nowadays, but back then they were, they were one of the biggest around and, um, they just had this fantastic culture and they really harnessed, um, the thought of like continuous improvement and education with the team mm -hmm. and making sure that they were always working on culture and always keeping employees happy and had really good tenure. So it was just a great place to learn the industry and learn about business too, even though I was, you know, 19, 20, but you know, just being impacted by some of the stuff they did at the organization was great. So I worked there like through my internship and then summers and winters through college. And then I graduated and I was there for about two full years. Um, and I'll rewind a little bit. My brother, Andy, obviously, uh, same upbringing, kind of followed in my footsteps. So he went through Stockbridge at UMass um, for landscape contracting. Um, I ended up doing four years. I did two years at landscape contracting and then I did two more years in urban forestry. So I ended up getting a bachelor's degree and Andy just did the associate's degree and ended up coming to work at Hartney Graymont with me as well. Okay. So we were okay. both there in uh, 2006 and I applied for a sales position in the company and you know, I was 24. And so my manager was, was like, you're kind of young. Um, you got a lot to learn about the field work still, you know, just, just, uh, keep doing what you're doing, stay in the field. You know, we'll, we'll find another opportunity for you down the road. And, um, I didn't like that answer. I was full of piss and vinegar and, you know, thought I knew better. So I put in my notice and started grabbing a couple of mowing accounts, even though I'd never done any maintenance before I was, I was doing like tree work in the winter. And in the, in the summer I was doing design, build construction. Um, and I was running a construction crew for them. So, um, I hadn't done maintenance before, but that's just what I started doing. I, I was mowing a couple lawns and then Andy, my brother, a couple of weeks later decided, uh, thought it was a good idea. So he parted up with me and he quit as well. And the two of us started landscape America in uh, September of 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, and this will show you how intelligent we are. We, we started the business up right as the economy started to, to <laughs> downturn. um, and I had like, I had my mortgage at that point. I had bought a house at 22. I had, um, they were giving out mortgages like crazy back then. So I had that mortgage and then I took out another mortgage, um, uh, to build the house that I was going to sell as a spec home and economy tanked housing market tanked. And I ended up having to rent that thing. So I had two mortgages, mm. no work. And we started our own business. Um, but luckily ignorance is bliss and, and we didn't, necessarily feel the impact of like the recession because we didn't, we didn't know any better. So we just got to work and, um, we were going around neighborhood to neighborhood, dropping off flyers, just doing whatever we, we could to, to make things happen. And so 2007, we did like 400 grand in revenue in our first year. Next year we did 600, 2009, we did a million. 
and we did 1.2, 1.3, 1.6. And so we just kind of just grew right through the recession and, um, and we're able to continue like strong growth all the way through. Um, and today we're, uh, we're about uh, eight and a half million dollar company. We have about a hundred people coming in when it snows during the landscape season, we're about 65 people or so. Um, so we're, we've kind of reshaped the organization and I can, I can get into that if, if you want me to later, but, um, we, we were predominantly design build through most of our, our existence. Um, up until a few years ago, we started to shift things over to more of a commercial, uh, maintenance and snow business. Um, but you know, it's been a, a fun journey and we've had a lot of really awesome people come here to work. And that's really been the reason we've been able to grow right through this whole thing. So. I love it. I love it. And some of the biggest companies on the planet have started in those tough times, right? Cause in the beginning, if, if that's your standard, tough time is your standard. And that's how you start. You know, that's, that's, there's a grit that comes with the, the guts to be able to do that. It, you know, my bigger fear is a lot of people have started their businesses in the COVID times in our industry, where there's just so much and everybody's just saying yes to everything that as things are shifting, the winds are shifting now, it's going to be a very different you know, time. So with that being the case, demand different, money's more expensive, all those things. It's, it's a, it's a different, uh, you know, different seas to manage and, and keep the ship on board with. But coming out of those tough times, I've been through, you know, 708 with business and all that. And we just squeaked through those years. You know what I mean? It was, it was only because some, a couple of commercial accounts we had that kept, you know, us in the black, but it was tight during that time. And then from there, just growing and growing and growing, like to your point, you know what I mean? Cause it's, once you've seen that, then it's like, all right, well, I know what it's like to have nothing. So let's, let's just keep cranking. And you're like, oh, do I need to put an extra half hour in today? Hour? Oh yeah. Yep. Because it all adds up. Every one of those adds up when it needs to. And that's the important part. So you start out. So how much younger or older is your brother? So Andy's three years younger than me. Got it. Okay, cool. And, uh, cause I was in a family business as well. My brother was 18 months younger and we, you know, I went to school for architecture and, and, you know, it was a community college kind of thing or like a trade school. And, um, did that and came out. I'm like, I don't want to be drawing houses forever. That's not my thing. I want to be outside. I grew up in a garden center. So I was like, I want to be out there just building cool stuff. And I love nature as well. And so with that being said, you know, starting out with your brother and, and getting that going has, how is it working with family, like growing a business like this, working with family and building teams and all that? How did you kind of figure that part out? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, th there's definitely challenges when you're working with your family and working with your brother. Um, luckily, you know, our challenges are, are sort of minimal, I would say in, in, in general, um, our personalities are such that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more of the, the driver, the entrepreneur, the, um, the, you know, strategy and kind of vision. And Andy is more of like a, the, the manager, like if you read the e-myth, um, you know, that we're kind of yin and yang in that aspect. So Andy's, Andy's definitely has the, you know, the manager, he's a little bit more, um, like, Hey, let's, let's look underneath that rock before we like go full bore into this situation here where I'm like, you know, hundred miles an hour, let's, this is what I want to do. And let's go here. And Andy's like, pump the brakes, dude. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit and see if there's another scenario that we can go through. Um, it, so that's definitely been helpful. Um, and also I don't think there's ever been the desire by Andy to want to be, um, sort of like the vision or the strategy person or, or, or even like the chief salesperson or anything like that. He's always been more like, I'd rather 
work with the crews. I'd rather, you know, he, he's our director of operations. So he, he manages our team. He manages our production managers, manages the fleet uh, manager itself and, and, and is always overseeing like the mechanic side. So, you know, that's, that's been really helpful. We, we've kind of defined our spaces. We kind of stay in our swim lanes. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there's, there's not a lot of, um, interest by either of us to want to cross those paths too much. You know, if I see something wacky going on in the shop or in the field, um, I bring it to his attention, but I don't go directly to his team and try to correct measures because that's not my job. That's Andy's job. So I go to him and he's yeah. the same with me. If he sees some sales coming through and the, you know, the bid isn't done correctly or whatever, he's not going and talking to the sales team and telling them that, you know, they messed this up. He's coming to me and then I go to the sales team. So, um, we're, we're good about staying in our swim lanes and, and focusing on what we get energy from hasn't always been the case. Uh, there was definitely times where, you know, at one point Andy was, Andy was selling for probably five, maybe five or six years. He was in a sales role and he hated it. And, um, yeah, yeah. but he thought he should be in a sales role because that's just the progression of an owner, mm-hmm. right? Like, you think like, all right, well, someone has to do this the sales, someone has to, you know, manage the customer and manage these relationships. And, you know, I was really busy selling work and needed another salesperson. So naturally Andy moved into that role and it took us a while to figure out that he wasn't getting any energy from that. And so, um, we weren't really seeing the full potential of what he could do because he didn't really love what he was doing. And then yeah. when we shifted and said, all right, I'm going to take the sales and the sales team, you take the operations and the production team. Um, you know, things just got a lot easier for him and for the, you know, just got better for the business in general. And I would say he, you know, went from maybe not loving every day of his work life to now, I think just like me, he, he enjoys coming to work every day because he's doing what he gets energy from. So important, dude. So important. And it's so beautiful that you guys have that. I mean, Gino Wickman talks about that in traction about the, um, the visionary and the implementer, right? That you're talking that classic combination and, you know, Oftentimes people think that the concept of entrepreneurs or the visionary is more quote unquote valuable than the other positions, but that's all bullshit, right? It's, it's like the old adage, like what's more important, um, your brain, your heart, your liver, like which one are your kidneys? Like, think about it. Like which one's more important? You're like, none of them. Like, think about it. They're all just as important. You don't have one. The whole thing doesn't work. So there's, there's never a level of like, I want to be the entrepreneur. I'm going to be better than other people. That's not what it is. But some people are wired like you and I, that we're visionaries. We see things in the future. We want to be thinking about future. We want to be thinking about how can we point this ship and drive and direct. And then we have people like your brother and like my brother as well, that both were incredible implementers, right? And we need that. Because our ideas don't go anywhere without someone who's going to put the, the the actual elbow grease in it and direct the people to make them come to life. Have you found that to be your your experience as well? Yeah, one hundred one hundred percent. And um, you know, there's certain times of of the year where, as a visionary or strategy person, or even from you know a sales perspective, like I need to be on my game all the time and doing what I need to do. And and maybe at that time, Andy's not is, um, you know, he's, he's not having to do like all of that work all the time. Um, because he's really just on the sort of the maintenance of the business at that point. But then like we flip to, for instance, now like snow season, right? So if we get a snowstorm, Andy is like all in hundred miles an hour, he's diving into the snow and I don't have a snow roll. So it, 
it's like, and you have to, you have to appreciate what each one of you is bringing to the table because he knows when I'm, you know, when we're selling snow, we're selling maintenance work, we're selling, um, enhancements, whatever, you know, he, he knows that during those seasons, I'm working a ton and getting stuff done. But when it comes to the snow side of things, I'll go out and say hi to the crews and bring them coffee and thank them for their hard work. But I'm not in the trenches like he is. And I so appreciate it when it snows and he's like, he's in the trenches, he's getting that work done. Um, and I think, you know, that, that level of understanding of who's, you know, who's responsible for what and when, you know, it's time for him to flex up or me to flex up is really important too, because it doesn't, it, it's not a competition of like who's working harder and who's doing this or that. It's just making sure we define expectations and understand what roles we're both going to do and then let each other do the roles. I love it. I love what you did. I mean, obviously you guys are know what you're doing. You're doing incredible. So it's, it's really good. And you know, you mentioned E-Myth earlier. That was one of my first business books that I read so many years ago. Me too. But the way that, that Gerber, the way he unpacks this and he, I think he talks, I think it was what Sarah's cookie shop or something like our bakery that they break apart. And like, if yeah. you can't systemize everything that anybody could come in and do it, then you don't own a business. You own your job. And I'm like, Oh, that was a gut punch. I was like, Oh crap. I guess I own a job then. And then once you start realizing, Holy crap, maybe I don't have to be great at everything. Maybe there's others out there that are far better at these things than I am. And why not give them the opportunity to come and shine? Right. So I'd love to get into team building and how you guys do it. I'm sure everybody is a little differently. Do you have a certain strategy or when it comes to hiring, what are you looking for? How do you keep your team, you know, and trim off the ones that aren't there? Like how do you, how do you manage the whole team building side of things? Yeah, I think, you know, reading, and I, I can't remember. So it was probably 15, 16 years ago, I read the E-Myth, but reading, you know, books like that and then uh, Built to Sell, there's some really great books that kind of, you know, brought this philosophy of build a business that can run without you and um, you'll be successful one way or another. You'll have value in the business, but also the business will will grow. People will grow within it. Um, so that's always been sort of our, our philosophy or mantra and, and um, you know, we think about those things when we're hiring new people because I don't, I don't want to be like, I'm right now I'm the director of sales, but I don't want to be the director of sales for the rest of the eternity of landscape America. Like that's not my goal is to just be in this position. I want to hire someone else to be able to do this job for me. Um, just like, you know, the same with Andy and the same with our accounts managers. I want them to aspire to be a branch manager or to be the director of sales and replace them with another person in the, in the uh, company. So, um, when we're hiring, you know, we're asking those questions up front, asking, you know, if people have five-year goals, 10-year goals, like what they aspire to, to do. Um, we have quarterly check-ins with all of our team members. And, um, those are some of the things that we talk about in those meetings as well. We set goals for, you know, the next quarter, we set goals for the next year. And what we're always trying to do is just build bench strength so that if um, if someone were to leave or if someone were to be promoted, there's the next man up or the next woman up that they can just jump right into that role. Um, and so it's really about creating, you know, continuous improvement amongst the team at all times um, through training, through education opportunities, you know, bringing them to conferences and seminars and having them watch webinars and, and focus on state association dinners and national association conferences and so forth. And then creating training programs that they can, they can follow or, um, participate in to help them get to the next, the next level. So, you know, uh, probably four years ago now, maybe five years ago, 
we finally sat down and, and which I felt like it was late for us to do this, but we, we, we sat down and validated our core values. And um, I say validated because I think the, like core values exist in every business. It's just mm-hmm. about, you know, making sure you validate them and say like, Hey, this, these are our core values. This is how we live. This is what we do on a day-to-day basis. And, and then promoting that within your organization. And so we did that probably maybe 2018 or so 2017. And, um, that's really changed a lot of our hiring practices, a lot of our, um, unfortunately when we have to terminate someone reprimand people, but even choosing clients and, and choosing co- to continue to work with clients or onboarding new clients, we use our core values for that. So, um, and the team's really, really gravitated around that concept. So, um, and we look at our core values as if it were a, a soccer field and we say, look, we have these core values. We have five of them, but we, we, we say if the core values are out of bounds on a soccer field, just stay within bounds, stay mm-hmm. inside the field. If you step out of bounds, if, you know, if, if one of our core values is deliver on promises, well, if we find you're not delivering on promises, you step out of bounds, say, Hey, look, these are the core values. This is what we talked about when you were first hired. This is what the team's about. Um, this is how we live. If, if you're not able to step back in bounds and deliver on promises, then you can't be on the team. But all you have to do is step back in bounds and we're good. Just stay in bounds. And so, um, so we use that, we use that, those core values in dealing with clients too. If we feel like a client is pushing our team members buttons in the wrong way, or they're, they're not, you know, stay focused and grow is another one. If they're not helping us grow, if they're using us for like a one-time project and we know they're going to go a different direction or they're beating us up during snow and we know that they're going to, you know, not work with us for the landscape season, we're going to part ways with that client because they don't align with the core values. So, um, I bring that up because our team has really, again, um, got a lot of energy from having core values established and the fact that we stick by them, we use them, and they use them on a day-to-day basis. And so I think that's that's helped some of that glue, some of that connectivity with, with the team. How powerful has it been, Doug, that you have set that with core values, I love that by the way, and that you've given them clear boundaries on the edge of that soccer field. I love that analogy too. But when they have a customer that pushes, like you said, the wrong way, how much, how powerful it is for your team to be able to let that customer go or you to let them go or however it works for you? How powerful is it for you, for your team to see that you won't put up with a certain, that you just won't work with clients that have less standard than you? How does that reflect on your team? They, they definitely appreciate the fact that we have their back. Um, and it's always an unfortunate situation that brings us sure. to that point. It's never like a, a fun discussion and, and typically there's a lot of emotion and angst involved when, when decisions like that are being made. Um, so, you know, it, it comes to a head at some point and it's the aftermath when you hear from the, the team member, they're like, you know, thank you for just having my back and for doing the right thing for us that, you know, that was causing me so much stress and anxiety and, you know, the customer just wasn't aligned with, with what we were doing here. And, and so in the end, it just kind of makes sense. It's not an easy process, but yeah. you definitely build strong trust and rapport with your team members, you know, just letting them know like, Hey, you, you're super important here. And I want to make sure that not only, you know, are you effective as a, as a team member, but you have to, you know, be able to come here to work and, and not be full of stress and anxiety because this customer is driving you nuts. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to 
the rest of your team. It's not fair to your family to go home stressed out about a customer. So um, it just doesn't, it doesn't align with us. And so it's, it's not an easy decision to part ways with a customer, but again, like afterwards, I think the, the feeling of relief and the, the knowing that we have our team members back builds so much rapport that the, the team member is going to stick around and they're, they're definitely bought in to the, the concept of the, the core yeah. values. Especially in the team, you know, you mentioned that many times and it's so important is that team dynamic. Uh, and in that there's a protective mechanism, right? Especially as, as you know, owners and visionaries is to make sure that our, our team realizes that we'll go out to battle if anybody comes in and tries to, you know, screw with our tribe, you know, and, and, and the customer is not always right. You know, that was an adage to given to me very young. It's like, oh, you take care of your customer. I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of being a fucking pleaser, right? At the end of the day, some people just don't deserve our time and that's okay. And we have to be able to stand tall with our team and say, no, enough is enough. And to let them go, give them the graceful exit and let them on the merry way. We're not going to be a good fit. But the power that comes in the team, then they say, well, wait a minute here. They're here protecting us that we're not just transactional objects. You know, we're just here trading time for money so these guys can make more money. They actually care. They're actually part of this. They're actually bought in. If they see us being, you know, mistreated or, or people going over the line that just like if it was a family member, if it was one of our kids that had somebody, you know, that was pushing too hard or just being a dick, we're like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, we're going to jump right up and come pop a bear and we're going to club some shit, right? We're going to knock some people out. And it's the same basic thing here with your team. When they feel that, man, they, they become, um, they become very vested in the, in the, in the mission because they can see it can be very powerful for them too. Yeah. These, I mean, the, the, the team members that are here, they're, they're our friends, they're a family really, you know, and, yeah. and, it really, really pisses us off when a customer's like messing, messing with them, yep. whether it's, you know, just constant barraging them or following them around a site all the time. I mean, if you're, if you're in the design build world for, you know, more than a day, you're going to get, you know, a customer at some point, that's really going to be a, a problem. Um, we've been fortunate enough to have maybe like one or two a year, but those one or two clients cause so much distraction from so many other good clients and good team members. It's just, it's just not fair. And like, like you said, Josh, I mean, the, the faster that we can exit that relationship, the better off we are. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, you still have to be professional and you still have to follow through with any of the promises and contracts and all that sort of stuff. So sometimes you're, yeah. you're there just brunting through and you know, like, I just got to get through this phase or this project or this month or whatever the contract is. But, um, I mean, you got to be there for your team as a support and, and, you know, our job as owners and, and, you know, um, executives and companies or whatever, you know, we're, we're really, we're mentors, but we're also, you know, like you said, we're, we're trying to protect our tribe, protect our team and make sure that they're having fun at work. They're enjoying what they do. And, you know, when customers get in the way of that, it's really it really, really pisses me off that, you know, because they work, they work so hard to like yeah, do a good exactly. job for the customer and do it, you know, follow through on all these promises we've made. And, you know, um, it's funny. And a lot of times customers, um, not the, not the really bad ones that you have to fire, but the ones that you have to talk to and say like, look, this is going on here and, and it's really not going the way we want it to go. And we need to change some things and, you know, you, you need to treat our team better and do this. Some people, when you bring that up to them, they it's like a light switch because they know their pains in the asses and they, mm -hmm. they've been told that from other people and they respect the fact that you've told them that and they respect the fact that you're willing to put up with them because there's not a lot of contractors that are. 
And so we've been able to strengthen relationships with some of those pains in the ass clients by just telling them like, you're, you're causing a lot of stress to our team and it's not fair. And if you don't cut it out, be like, we're not going to continue working together. We'll finish what we've been obligated to do, but we're not going to continue on the next phase. And, and we've actually had people do a 180 and, yeah. you know, and because they know, they know they're a pain in the ass because they're a pain in the ass and to their, their wife or their husband or whatever. And so the fact that you call them out on it, um, sometimes changes their tune a little bit and builds more rapport with your team too. No doubt. And in life we get what we tolerate. So if we tolerate that kind of thing and tolerate our teams being treated like that by people, guess what? We're going to get more of it. Yeah. So when you start saying no and you put your foot down, you start to see those things. It's amazing how the universe works that way. You just start getting less of those people. <laughs> just, right. you know, and then pretty soon you have like a bunch of clients. Now it's not always going to be perfect. We don't have perfect clients all the time. We have things we got to manage. That's just nature of being in business. But you know, you get less of that when you start telling the universe, look, I'm not going to put up with that shit anymore. I'm just don't want any more of those clients. And it's a powerful lesson to be, to be learned personally. And also for your team to know they don't have, they're not stuck in bed with these people for the rest of their lives. Yeah. When, when I'm reviewing quotes actually on the residential side, it's not as much of an issue on the commercial side because you're not working at people's homes, right? You're at their business. So they're, they're not as passionate and, and, and so forth about the work. But when we do residential stuff, the first question I ask my sales team before I approve an estimate, I, I just ask them, are they nice? Are they nice people? Yeah. And yeah. you know, if I get a, yeah, I think so. I think they're okay. I'm, I'm like, probably not a good fit. Like, let's move in a different direction. You know, we, I, we've been doing this long enough. Like, we don't want to work for people that aren't nice. We don't want to work for people that are going to be pains in the asses or treat treat us like crap. We want to work for people that are going to align with us and and you know be advocates for our business and be easy to work with. Yeah, for me, the word is grateful. So I don't expect them to kiss our ass. That's not the point. But are they grateful? Are they happy? that they can actually have us out to do this kind of stuff. And if they are, if you, from day one, it's, it's first date, right? You get on the phone with that person and you're talking to them and they're, they suck on the phone on the first date. Are you going to go on a second date? Only if you're looking for, you know, not the dating situation, but in jobs, it'd be only if you're looking for money, you're like, maybe I can go out and score some cash on this deal. And yeah. if you're going to do that, you're going to find shitty clients. But when you're like, yeah, that's not going to work. And you start becoming, you raise your standard and you start becoming more particular on who the type of clients that you're going to accept and tolerate. Next thing you know, again, universe lines up and sends you more of those better ones and you have a better idea of what's going on and your, your team doesn't feel like you're just machines pumping out time for money and that's not what they want to exactly. do. So that's, it's so freaking cool because it's, it's so important and we have the opportunity as owners to say yes or no. It's not because they called me, I'm now obligated to go and work for them no matter what bullshit they put me through. That's not what it's about. It's you as the owner or as the salesperson or whatever position you're in is saying, do I feel like they're actually going to be grateful for what we're doing for them? That's my filter. Just like you said, are they nice? That's the same basic thing, right? Are they people that yeah. are nice? Did they get through the first date? And if yeah. they struggle through the first date, we probably don't want to go on a second or third. And we certainly don't want to marry those fuckers either. So yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I like that. I'm going to steal that, Josh. Are they grateful? That's good. Good. <laughs> Please. Um, I know earlier before we hit go, your uh, your team, they rung a gong in your office. And I'd love to talk to you about the gong. And I wish we were actually recording at the time because I thought it was freaking <laughs> awesome. If you can like text them and tell them to hit it again, that'd be awesome. But anyway, a gong going off in your office. So tell me about what the gong, how it, what it's there for and how you ever decided to do such a crazy thing. And what does it mean? 
Yeah. So we're, I think, you know, most, most people are in our industry, unfortunately, and maybe it's just most people in general, we tend to focus on challenges and problems and not celebrate enough. Yep. Um, you know, we, we tend to, we'll win a job, we'll work so hard to win a job. And then as soon as we win the job, we go to, okay, how are we going to produce this and how are we going to get this done? And what equipment do I need? And what else do we need to do it? We don't take the time to pause and like high five and just say like, Hey, that's friggin' awesome. We won this job. That's great. We, we just spent three months or a month or weeks or whatever, trying to, trying to win over this client and get them to, uh, to agree to this. So, um, in order to celebrate more, we installed a sales bell in our office. And so whenever someone sells something, they come up and ring the bell and, you know, it gets everyone just kind of gets, gets their attention and people will be yelling and, you know, what'd you sell? What'd you get? Whatever. And it's just like a fun thing. And now our sales team took it to the next level and got a gong. Uh, so, <laughs> so now we have, we have two floors in the office here, so you can hear it on either floor. If uh, someone gets a sale, that gong's going to vibrate through the, uh, the floors of the office, but it's pretty cool. It's just a way to celebrate and, uh, you know, get, get everyone kind of jacked up about sales because as we say, nothing happens until a sale is made. We can't, we can't buy the equipment. We can't produce the job. We can't do anything until we get the sale. So that's, it's really important and it gets our even our production team jacked up about, you know, a new sale coming in. They hear the gong, the bell go off and they're like, Oh, cool. Something new just came in the door, a new, you know, a new job or a new maintenance client or a new snow job or whatever. So it's just a, it's a fun thing to celebrate. I love it. And how long have you been doing that? We've had the bell for, um, the gong's brand new, but we had the bell for probably five years now. Nice. And what have you seen before Bell and then after Bell? I don't know if that's a thing, but anyway, what did you notice a difference in your teams with that Bell in integration into your process? I mean, just, just for me in particular too, like I, I just wouldn't like ever celebrate if I sold something. And I was the, I was the last one to actually like finally start ringing the bell because mm. for me it was like, all right, I sold that job and I'm just on to the next thing. Like whatever the next thing is, I'm on to that. If it's the next sale, the next problem, whatever. And, you know, um, it took me a while to actually start to, to use the, the bell to celebrate because I was just such a creature of habit and still am. But, um, with my team for sure, they, it's like brought new energy to the, to the room and just to the, the office here. And, you know, it's, it's not fair that I'm not a celebratory type of person when, when, you know, we sell something, it's not fair to my team. So it's forced me to kind of change my ways a little bit and it's allowed the team to, to, as a group to kind of have that bonding and, and cool moment when we finally, you know, win something. That's so cool. I, years ago, my wife put a bell, she's a chiropractor. She put a bell in her office. They call it the better bell. So each time people come out after they're adjusted and they feel better, they ring the bell. So I was like, that's just such a cool idea. She saw it at a seminar somewhere and she started doing that. So I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what it'd be like to have a bell in my office. Like every time we do cool stuff, you know, sell or whatever. So we got these little bells with smiley faces on them in the office. And when someone sells, you know, we've never had this conversation, Doug, right? So this is just incredible. That's why I want to bring it to the listeners because we have something similar in our office without even ever talking, you know, where it's like, okay, you did something cool, whether it's, you know, we, a, a permit came through for a project we've been working our ass off for, or we, we get a sale or whatever. It might be something that we're celebrating. We hit the bell and it's not just one person hits the bell. We all hit the bell. And the funny part is my office is, is like uh, another room away from the main office. So when I hear the ding, I'm like a dog coming for a bone. I'm like, what, what happened? what did you guys do? Right. <laughs> Come over and we're all excited and we celebrate together. And it's, it's so much fun to hear that ding. It's like a, and I was like, all right, 
what happened? <laughs> we run, right? And then we all kind of get together and talk about it. So it's such a beautiful thing. If you're not doing that yet in your office space, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible way to build morale and to just celebrate and have fun. Cause you're right, Doug, you're like me, like years ago, I'd sell stuff and I'd be like all jacked for months working on this design, ready to go. And you finally sell it and you're like, all right, I can't wait to build it. And all of a sudden I was like, now I got to build it. Yeah. It's like, the, it's like now the reality sets in, it's not all fun and you know possible in the future. I'm going to make some money. Now you have the check and the, all the excitement goes into dread. You're like, fuck, now I got to actually do this. So <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we, we all work in such a tough industry. It's a tough business. There's, there's a challenge around every corner. Like there's a yeah. challenge with material There's a challenge with a sub on the site. There's a challenge with like your team, this, this guy didn't show up for work today. This guy's leaving early. What, like there's always something uh, of a challenge during the course of the day, multiple ones that you can find at any moment. So, um, and many of us that have, um, I think to your point earlier, like, if you you start like you're grinding like you figure out how, you have so much grit and you're just grinding to get the you know to the next level or get whatever your your bills paid or to make a paycheck and that's just inherent in us and we don't take the time to to really like say like okay this is cool like we got here uh we did this well this is going great we just focus on all those challenges the negative things so the start of all of our meetings, um, whether it's a sales meeting, a production meeting, or even our team meetings, our safety talks, everything that happens at Landscape America, we always start with bright spots. Um, so every everyone in the room has to go around and say one positive thing, personal or professional, but they have to say one positive thing to kick off every meeting. Again, just to celebrate a little bit, but also, so it's not always like doom and gloom. And, you know, we can definitely get into lots of, pissing and moaning like about whatever's going on through the course of the day it's nice to have that little break in in that pissing and moaning and say like hey this is cool this happened today that's awesome or you know whatever my my daughter won her hockey game or whatever it is it's just it's good to have that positive feeling uh to kick off the meetings and set the tone i absolutely love that dude you're you're absolutely right the the overall psychology of what's happening there right in that meeting is you're forcing people to look at the positive stuff and guess what they're looking for before that meeting more positive stuff because you can find shit everywhere you can find great stuff everywhere it depends on how you're focusing your mind so to do that as a team that is incredible dude that's it's such a beautiful way to to keep everyone more in a positive state that's so good yeah yeah so what are some of the things so like if you can think back obviously you've been going you said since 2006 when you started yep and uh, obviously two people now, you know, seasonally over a hundred and, you know, so what are like three things that you had to learn along your journey that got you to where you are today? What are maybe some of the lessons you learned, maybe the hardest lessons you had to learn in order to get you to where you are now? Uh, so like the, I guess the first thing is, um, it, the, the lesson that I learned was making sure that I surround myself with good mentors, even if it's one or two mentors, but I mean, I, I'm the more the merrier. I, I love to network with people in our industry and rob and duplicate from what they're doing. But, mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to find someone that you aspire to be like, or aspire to have a business like them and continually ask them like, what's going on in your world? What are you doing differently? And, and get energy from that person's like achievements or experience or whatever, and then bring that back to your own world. Um, so I was really fortunate to connect with some, some 
inspiring people back in 2006, seven, eight, nine, like early on. And I'm still really close friends with a lot of those people now. And, and I've watched their business grow and they've helped me grow my business. And it's like, it's free coaching essentially. Um, so, so that's, that's like a number one for me is if you're a business owner or even in a management position, find a mentor, find a coach, find someone a friend that you can bounce ideas off of that you can learn from and that you can see what they have going on in their world and then rob and duplicate some of those cool things and bring it to to your world it's just going to speed up the evolution of, of your business and, and your your professional um career uh, second i would say join associations um, nalp the national association of landscape professionals has been probably like one of the biggest um reasons why we've been you know, remotely successful in this industry is, is just going to those conferences, again, networking with people, learning from the speakers and, and coaches and, and using the resources that, that they have available. Um, and it's, it's cool because you get to travel and see different parts of the, the country and, and so forth, which Annie and myself never went on planes until we were like 20 something years old, like we didn't travel anywhere. So the, it's been it's been fun for that aspect, too state associations, like we have the Massachusetts Association of Landscape Professionals, MLP, and it's more local, probably less sharing of um, financials maybe with with some of the people locally, although we're an open book, so I share whatever I can with whoever asks, but um, there's probably a little bit less sharing that goes on just because we're somewhat competitive with each other being regional, um, where is the National Association you can ask anyone, you can ask people their revenue, like the first time you meet them and they'll tell you. Um, so just a lot of good sharing goes along with the association. So I would recommend getting, getting involved in those and, and and using the resources that are available from those to help uh, you grow. Um, and then I, I would say like a third for us is we started practicing open book management, um, back in 2018. Um, so the philosophy is that business is a team sport and you know with every set of hands you get a free brain so you know if you have 50 people on your team or five people on your team um giving them the resources to and the opportunity to be engaged and to be a thought partner in the business is going to just help propel you to the next level so we share with our team on a weekly basis our financials like revenue cost of goods gross profit um, everything gets shared with the team. So they see exactly how we're doing week over week. And then we talk about messaging around what's contributed to a good week or a bad week, a good job or a bad job. And, and, mm-hmm. um, it's really about the, the discussions that come about because of those numbers. It's not necessarily the numbers that are important. Um, it's really like, how did we get there? Or how did we not get there? Like how did, you know, this job went bad, this job ran over, hours because we missed the bid or because the skid steer broke down and that job because we went over hours it cost the company x amount of money and more labor and detracted from our gross profit goal of x and so what do we do next time to fix that and so forth so those are the discussions that happen from open book and the the team members will you know they'll know if they back over a cutoff saw or a backpack blower by accident on the job site they know they have to talk about it and and we're going to talk about it in our open book meeting and we're going to say hey that $600 backpack blower is coming right off a of gross profit what could we have done differently to prevent that from happening and um 
on the flip side, you know, we crush a job, we do awesome on it. We, we, you know, finish a hundred hours under budget and we added an extra $10,000 to the gross profit. Well, now we're celebrating because we know exactly what happened. So, um, so open books has been, has been a big game changer for us. Um, and, and really got our team engaged in the business itself and, and understanding what's revenue, what's cost of goods, what's gross profit, what does it all mean? And how does it, how do my actions on a day-to-day basis affect how the, the business is doing? Um, and so they feel like they're in the know. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. you're absolutely right, dude. It's, it's, and it's something that I struggle with in the very beginning was to, I'm like, holy crap, I don't want to show anybody the numbers. They might see how much I make. They might see like what things cost or how, you know, horrible I am at this or whatever it might be, right? This whole open book, it's scary, right? In the beginning. And I'm like, you know what? It can't, we can't grow until we do this. And I had other people that I looked up to that said, we're all open book now. Everybody sees everything. We have no, we don't hold anything back. And they're growing like crazy. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute here, maybe that's the secret. So we started that as well. And when I meet with the CFO, we go through everything and, and, you know, we're just talking through it. And I'm like, I feel so much better. Now they see how their actions impact. And you tell me if you found this to be the case as well, you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but all of a sudden now they're making decisions like an owner. Have you noticed that? They're like, they're like, oh, I just need more stuff. Like we can get around. We don't need to do that. <laughs> right. And you're like, wow, that's really cool because they actually see how that the, the, the decision impacts the business. So it's almost like playing a football game with, with no scoreboard. They're just out there playing. Like, are, are we winning? Are we losing? Like well, how much more do we got to go? How much longer do we got to go? There's no scoreboard. So when they can see the scoreboard, everybody can play to that board. And you know, I, I love that you've opened it up and I'm sure that that's been a, a big part of your growth too. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you, you nailed it. It's the, you know, there's different aspects of open book, but the scoreboard is so important. And, and yeah. like I said, we, we share the financials, but it's on that scoreboard. And you're right. The team, the team wants to see what, what's the score on a weekly basis. And what did we do that affected that score um, yeah. in a good way or a negative way? And you, you definitely get ownership thinking out of the team, um, especially in regards to specifics to their job or their team like their crew like they will they will say things to the crew like hey I, I saw you just come out of the shop and walk over here carrying the shovel and then you went back and got the rake afterwards you got two hands grab the tools and walk them over the trail you just wasted time <laughs> yeah. you know walking back and like and it's not me saying it it's the yeah. it's the, the crew saying it to each other because they know that hey that's that's waste we want to drive waste out because we need to we need to make our goal and hit this goal in order to get a bonus and 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 share in the the profits of the company. So um, definitely drives ownership thinking, and um, they want to know, like they want to see how we're doing. It's 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 not really fair to go and tell the team like, hey, go out there and do a really good job today, and um, just you know work hard, and we'll see what happens. And you know you, what do you expect out of the team that you're just sending out on the road? You know they don't know what they're supposed to accomplish in a day. It's a lot different when you say, "Hey, I expect you to hit you know 150 square feet today. How can we accomplish that? What do you need for me to to get there?" And um, when you hit that goal, like we're gonna celebrate it too. So install 150 square feet of pavers today with you and this other guy, whatever it, you know, whatever the number is. But you, when you're talking about specifics and you give them goals and they are bought into the goal, or maybe you ask them what their goal is and they can say, Hey, my goal is to get here. Cool. That sounds like it's aligned with what we expect out of you. That's great. What do you need for me to get there? Go do it. And and then they're bought in and they're, they're, 
doing a lot more to get there than if you just kind of send the crew out in the morning and just hope they're going to come back at the end of the day with a truck and trailer and, you know, have done something productive. hundred percent, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how that changes. And now to your point, you get, you know, your whole team becomes ownership minded and that's, you know, it sounds like that could be a bad thing. And I know in the beginning, like I said, it's like, oh my God, you know, if they see the numbers, what are they going to do? Doug, what happens if they come to you and work for a while, see the numbers and go tell your, your, uh, your competitor, how much Doug, you know, spends on light bulbs every year. Like who gives a shit? <laughs> like who cares if they want to take the numbers and go, go like the numbers they're they're Anyway, it's, it's a bit and of a growing up thing part. is the funny thing is, is that like as owners, you know, I tell people about open book and other business owners is like, I don't want to show them what I make. And I'm like, dude, it's probably embarrassing to them. Like it's probably, it's usually embarrassing to tell them like, this is all we make at the end of the year for yeah. all the hard work you do. Like this is what yeah. we get at the end of the year. It's usually not the opposite. We're like, Oh my God, you've made so much money. Like it's, it's typically not that way. It's, it's the opposite. It's usually shocking to the team that they're like, you know, if we say we're going to do $8 million, some of our team might think we're making 4 million in profit, you know, where we're we're doing $8 million. We're hoping to make 800,000 in profit. And then we're going to spend that money on taxes and we're going to reinvest in the business and we're going to put some in a rainy day fund. And what's left over is, you know, minimal compared to what we're doing in revenue. And when you explain that to the team, they're like, holy shit. Like I thought we did way more than that in, in profit, you know, and it's, yeah. so I, I tend to find it's, it's the opposite of what most owners think and, and, you know, are afraid of their, their fears are not exactly aligned with what people are going to think when they actually show them the numbers. I couldn't agree more. It was something that I had as a fear and thank God I shot that thing and we uh, focused on doing it cause it's made all the difference. And now, you know, the team is so much more focused and invested in, in trying to think for us as owners, because they're trying to get in there. So how can I, you know, think like them? And next thing you know, it's like, they're, yeah, that's a great idea. Just do that. Like, I'm sure you've had people come to the table and had solutions better than yours. And you're like, damn, this is amazing. <laughs> right. It's like, again, you get two hands and one brain every time that you have them involved. And if you have 50, you have 50 times the capacity, not just you having to run the ship and, you know, kind of keep it all for myself. It's this, it's a whole different mindset when it comes to that. And I love it. I'm so excited yeah. that you've done that. Yeah. It must be, exhausting to to be the like the business owner that everything channels through you know yeah. it all has to come through me it. all the ideas come from me like i would oh, i wouldn't never i wouldn't survive in that environment and i don't know how people do it kudos to them the ones that can yeah. manage a business and have everything go through them but that's not it's a that's not me. yeah yeah oh doug i could talk to you for the rest of the day on this subject but uh, we got to wrap up here so um how can people find you so i'm i'm active on linkedin um, so LinkedIn's a great way. Um, our website's www.landscapeamerica.com. My email address is a little bit long, but it's my first initial and last name, dmcduff at landscapeamerica.com. Um, and I absolutely welcome anyone to reach out. I love to talk to other business owners, other landscapers, um, whether it be the physical landscape work or talking about business, both of them are super fun. So um, if I can be a resource to anyone, I'm happy to chat. I appreciate it, Doug. Now, do you have any other little tips of wisdom that you want to bestow on our listeners before you go? I would just say, I think we're in for a little bit of a, of a downturn in the economy right now. Not to say that things are going to get really bad, but I would say um, if you can stash as much work for quarters three and four this year as you possibly can, I'd get your selling hat on in the spring here and, and sell 
bunch of work. I think quarters one and two are going to be good, but we might see a little bit of a slowdown. So stash as much work as you can for uh, the last two quarters of the year. And um, I think we'll be in a little different spot with employees than we have been too. There's been a lot of layoffs at big corporations. So yeah. I think yeah. we'll have some team members available. So that's the bright spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would, I would say things are, we're going to be doing more selling than order taking, which has been what's been happening for the past couple of years. So um, just, just get your team ready and uh, in the right mindset for that. I love it. Absolutely. So guys, first of all, Doug, thank you for coming on. Um, I always love talking to people that are out there killing it like you are. I love that you lead your team with passion. I love that you lead it with open book and just you want to see them succeed. It's obvious in how you're handling everything. And you and your brother have built an incredible business. So um, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your nuggets of wisdom and things you've learned along the way. And listeners out there, you know, each week we try to bring somebody else new on that we can talk to and discover how they've uh, unpack their journey, how they've come along and what they've learned along it. So I appreciate you listening each and every week. And until next week, we'll talk to you then.